This is the Katoz podcast, Food for the Journey. Season 6, Episode 10. Cultivating a Global Mindset, Portugal. Hi, I'm Michael and welcome back to the Katoz podcast. Can you believe we're on the way to the end of this season already? It's gone so quickly. Hope you've been enjoying the episodes. I've certainly been enjoying reflecting on my travels and how this has all helped me to have a global mindset and hopefully it can accelerate your progress, your journey, and you can be thinking a lot quicker and better than I am with some of these areas. So like I say, a huge thank you to our sponsor. They are the Masterclass Sessions. If you click on the link in the show notes, you can book yourself on the next Masterclass Session. And if you just send me an email to michael at catalos.co.uk or comment on social media, wherever you see these podcasts on something you're enjoying about this season, you'll be entered into our draw. And we have a chance to win a whole year's subscription, all the recordings and live sessions, the Masterclass Sessions, completely free. If you remember last episode, my friend Daniel Wuber, he won a whole year's subscription. He's really happy to do so. I remember when I told him. So if you want that to be you, just click on the link in the show notes. If you are a Spanish speaker and you'd like to listen to shorter versions of this podcast in Spanish, Comida para Viaje is the Spanish version and it's in the show notes as well. I've also got a new book called Loving Leadership. It's my framework for how you lead from what I believe is the strongest resource in the world in, in your life, which is the love in your heart. What does that actually look like um, as a ethical, moral and cognitive framework? So if you click on the link, that's that. And something new to be revealed very soon. I've been working on something very exciting and all being well, it'll be in the show notes for you in the very next episode. So more to follow that soon. Oh, this episode's so important. <laughs> it's so important. Uh, my love for Portugal, the people of Portugal, and what it taught me. So I was very um, ignorant of Portugal. I knew a little bit. I know about Ronaldo the footballer. I know about the food. I don't live too far from Portugal. But having been there and going to the Algarve, which is this gorgeous place along the coastline of Portugal, I thought, what did it really teach me in relation to how I think about global business how did it help to remove, hopefully, some of my cultural ignorance of different people? Um, and how can that help you? And I came up with three lessons that it taught me, three very, very important lessons that all came in a kind of very important context. So I'll tell you the backstory. So when I went to Portugal a couple of years ago, it was my first holiday and my first proper trip outside of the country since all the lockdowns in the UK because of covid and in the UK, we had three lockdowns. And the first one, I'll never forget for the rest of my life, I spent 12 weeks in my house on my own. Uh, that's not normal. I'm pretty sure they call that solitary confinement, you know. I'm sure you guys had some bad experiences as well, some challenging experiences with lockdowns. And so by the end of that, and when I was able to actually fly to a different country and travel and, you know, wear the masks and things like that, it's fair to say I was pretty nervous. I was pretty used to kind of social isolation. And it took a lot out of me. Uh, the business did very well. Catalyst has grown massively through these last few years. But on a personal level, you know, I was ready for a break. I was ready for a holiday. I was nervous about it, you know. And Portugal, fortunately, was the country that helped me fall in love with traveling around the world again. And I'll come back to that later. So that's the backstory of where I was at in terms of when I went to Portugal. So the first lesson it taught me and it was a lesson not through the people, but it was through the landscape, and it was just through being there. I went on a really cool trip to see some dolphins, 
and we had a fantastic um, interpreter and, and guide, and he was telling me about these dolphins, and he's telling me all about the coastal line in, um, in the Algarve, this beautiful coastal region in Portugal. And he said the beaches are like 10,000 years old. It takes like 10,000 years to make these structures. And if you've never been to Portugal, just Google, Google image the Algarve. You see these gorgeous, what I call like honeycomb structures, you know, like honeycomb, gold and syrupy brown, full of like holes, like they're, they're rocks, but they've got these little holes, like that's, and it's all because the uh, the water is, the sea has, has worn the the rock away over thousands of years and it looks like giant honeycombs they're absolutely beautiful and I remember I was floating in the sea I love to swim and I was in the sea and I was looking back at the shore and I was looking at these honeycomb structures and I thought it's taken 10,000 years to make this beautiful beach and it was a beautiful beach and I get to come for one week and just enjoy it and see it and that really helped me with perspective. And so what it was teaching me was just the sheer age of our planet, you know, how old it is. And what's 100 years, what's 10 years in the light of this exceptionally old place. And then I, I took it further and I was thinking, well, originally all life came from the sea. <laughs> so I originally came, I'm floating in the sea now, I came from this sea and now I'm going back into the sea to regenerate and have a little swim around and I'm looking at something that's taken thousands of years and it took even longer to make me. And that really helped me because it gave me this gift of perspective. You know, don't we get caught in our quarterly targets and what's happening this year and last year and even five years ahead can look so scary because of all the uncertainty. And what's 10 years in the blink of comparison to 10,000 years or 5 million years? And it didn't scare me. It didn't make me feel obsolete. It just had this beautiful way of saying, hey, hey, it takes time to make something beautiful and you get to just enjoy it. And the beach didn't ask anything of me. I didn't have to pay anything or anything like that. It was just this beautiful place. And every time I went there, several times a day for a full week, it completely re-energised me. And I just kept swimming and looking at the structures and thinking how grateful I was to be able to experience something that is so gorgeous and took so long really, really helped me to lose a lot of the stuff that I accumulated over COVID times and think about this and what about that. And all that just kind of fell away because I was thinking it's been a hard year, it's been a hard two, three years. And I was like, yeah, it has. But what's that in the face of 10,000 years? So the beaches and the sheer age of Portugal, and it's a very old country, um, gave me some perspective, good perspective. Kind of just showed me how kind of small I was, you know, chronologically in the in terms of the big timeline, but it, but a good thing as well. It wasn't a bad thing, it just made me feel, yeah, you get a little short little time during this big long story. The second lesson that it taught me, or I guess I was given this lesson whether I wanted to or not, I had mismanaged expectations, I think, about the language of Portuguese and speaking um, Portuguese in Portugal. So to give you a bit of backstory, when I went there, I just started speaking Spanish. I'd spoken for a few months, and if you listen to this podcast, you know, I love speaking Spanish. And that was very much the start of my kind of cultural ignorance journey in Portugal because I wrongly assumed, well, Spain and Portugal are next to each other. I'm sure the languages are quite similar. I'm sure if people don't speak English, they'll probably speak Spanish. Uh, and so if I can speak Spanish, they'll probably appreciate that a lot more than speaking English because I guess it's like Portuguese. It's not. <laughs> it's really not. 
And I remember doing a bit of practice just a few weeks before I went away and I was looking at all the words and watching videos and thinking, this is not the same. If anything, this is really different. I found that really challenging and I felt a bit stupid because I thought, here's me expecting this language just to be pretty much the same with a few different words. And it really wasn't. I got a bit frustrated by that because I, I just felt a bit, again, I just felt a bit stupid. I thought, I've got all this Spanish and it's hopefully going to be useful. And it wasn't. <laughs> when I went and I was speaking in the hotel, um, and of course people spoke English, but when I tried to, I thought, well, you know, I did speak a bit of Portuguese, I learned the basics. But when I tried to express myself and I tried to do it through Spanish, it didn't really work and people weren't really understanding me. And I'll tell you a funny quick story about this. It just proves how global our world is and how we should never make assumptions like I did speaking to a waitress and she spoke fluent English and I tried speaking to her in Spanish and she said to me oh no 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 I don't speak Spanish so it sure it's more easy than English and she said no no to the point where I said to her Buenos Dias and she said oh that's not how you say hello in Spanish and I said well with respect I think I'm pretty sure it is and she still didn't believe me and she called over another waiter and said hey hey how do you say hello in Spanish and he said Buenos Dias and she said, all right, I didn't. I didn't know that. And I reflected on that. I thought, here's this Portuguese woman who speaks fluent English as well as Portuguese and just doesn't know Spanish. So it taught me, firstly, to appreciate that every single language is different. Yes, there are similarities between, say, Romance languages or Slavic languages or Norse languages, but every single language is different and should be treated as such. And just because one country is next to the other does not mean that their languages are actually similar at all. And I was reflecting on this, I thought, it's true. It would be like somebody who doesn't really know the United Kingdom, thinking, well, Wales and England are next to each other, so I'm sure Welsh is pretty much the same as English. It's not. It's completely different. And so that's the second lesson that taught me. And it really humbled me to not have pre-set expectations and assumptions on a language and on a people. And since I've thought about it afterwards and reflected over the last couple of years, and I've realised, yeah, absolutely, that ignorance is actually a part of learning, especially cultural learning. If you're willing to try and travel to a different country or speak somebody else's language or trying to consider them, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess it up completely. And I think most people are understanding of that as long as they know your intentions are good. If they're not, then that's not so great. So for example, if I'd have gone to Portugal and spoke nothing but Spanish and expected people to speak to me in Spanish or spoken nothing but English and expect people to speak to me in English, which some people do, that wouldn't have been cool and I don't think people would have responded to that. But even if you're just trying, like I did, you know, people, they do laugh at you. You need to get used to being laughed at. Um, but once you do, that's fine. I remember going to the, the dinner every night and telling them I was vegan and trying to say that in Portuguese. It's not easy. A lot of it was just gesturing, to be honest. But I'm glad I did, because they had some really good food, and I could have let that go, and I thought, no, I'm going to try and make an effort in Portuguese, and, and I managed it, just about. So the third lesson that it taught me, and this links back to the context of when I went to Portugal, if you're in business, especially if you're a business owner, if it is your business that you're running, it can take chunks out of you. Business, at the best of times, can be brutal. And I always say to business owners when I work with them, if you're good, then the business is good. If you can't see a way forward, it doesn't matter how good your business is on paper, um, it's all over. That sounds a bit dramatic, but it's true. Isn't it true that if you think things will work out, you find a way to make them work out? And if you think things are all over, then of course when that happens, you think, oh, of course I was right. 
So the lesson it taught me is you need to take your rest and recovery very seriously. I went to Portugal exhausted, worn out, more than just needing a holiday. I'd gone from going to a couple countries a year to not going anywhere for two years and needing this time away because I made the shift to working from home and having a home office as well, which is great, but it also is difficult because your home space is your workspace. And especially if you had, on top of that, lockdowns, not being able to leave your home, you can see why I needed to escape a little bit. But I think a lot of people, and I've made a podcast on how to rest and recover properly, um, so check that out. I think it's season two. But a lot of people don't quite know how to rest and recover properly. And it, and there are some things that you can do when you're on holiday that you can't really do in normal everyday life to help you to fully recharge. So I'd like to share some of them with you now that really work for me. Some of these might not work for you, but they definitely work for me to the point where I took a photo of myself when I came back, just in a bathroom mirror, smiling. And yes, I was suntanned, but my face was beaming. I was absolutely just radiating energy. And I've made the mistake in the past on going on holidays thinking just being here is going to help me, and it kind of does. But as you know, you take yourself with you, don't you? So if you're worrying about your business, you're going to take that with you on holiday. And I'd made this conscious decision, no, I need to put in as much as I can to make sure this this holiday I'm going to regenerate myself (laughs) I am there to to put stuff back in. That's the sole reason why I'm going. And as you know, you go to different places for different reasons, but this was the main reason why I went. And so I took it really seriously. It was almost like a job. And I thought, right, what can I do every single day, six days in a row, that's going to build on top of each other to nourish my my energy and my supplies? So the first one, it sounds so random, but it just happened. I remember being by the swimming pool and I was walking over down to the beach, and I deliberately just slowed my steps down. And I was walking very slowly, but on purpose, just paying attention to my steps, but walking maybe half the pace I normally would. And just try that. If you're trying to relax yourself as you move around your house or your office or your street, wherever you are, try walking slower. What seems to happen is your mind, first of all, says, why are you doing this? You need to speed up. But then, of course, if you can say, well, no, because I'm winding down like a clock, you're doing the opposite, you're winding yourself down. It slows your thinking down. And I remember I did it for a couple of days and just by moving deliberately on, on purpose, moving slowly, my thinking started to slow down. And so every time I had a transition from sitting to standing or walking from one area to the other, I would deliberately go as slow as I could. Just try it out the speed of the movement matched my thinking and vice versa. And it's often the way, if you're wound up, you're probably thinking a million miles an hour, you're probably breathing a million miles an hour as well. I often say this to people in training sessions, imagine you're you're driving your car and somebody nearly crashes into you and you think, oh, and you carry on and you get to wherever you're driving and you get out and you don't realise but your heart's racing and you've been breathing really quickly because of the stressful situation, you need to deliberately say, okay, that's past now. So breathe slower, breathe slower. So the walking slowly, right? Second thing I did was they had a sauna. I was very grateful they actually had a sauna. And I went there every single day. And I alternated between in the sauna, then into the plunge pool, the cold water. Hot, cold, hot, cold. I love a good sauna. It's incredible. The heat and the cold seep through your skin, past your muscles, into your very bones. 
you don't believe me, try swimming a hot, cold shower alternation three times. Obviously, stay safe, right? Don't scold yourself. But that oscillation of heat and cold does something to your system, gets your skin tingling. And then swimming in the sea. If you get the chance to ever swim in the sea, just do it. It doesn't matter what ocean you're in. Swimming in the sea is so regenerative. And like I said before, when I was swimming in the sea, I wasn't just physically swimming. I was saying, yeah, I'm a part of this. I came from the sea. I was looking at all the coastal regions. It was completely regenerative. Food and water, obviously. I'm on holiday, so you're going to eat whatever you want, right? But I also made sure to have lots of fruits and vegetables and lots and lots and lots of water and just fill myself full of that good stuff. Walking, obviously, if you're sitting down too much, movement is a really good way to help yourself to recover because if you kind of sat and lying down over a longer period of time, I don't know if you're anything like me, you know, sunbathing, your mind gets restless. So mixing up with a bit of walking. And having said that, sometimes I used to just sit on the beach and just stare at the ocean and just let my eyesight go kind of fuzzy and just sit and stare. That's a really good one. You don't have to be doing anything or meditating, although I think meditation is amazing. Just kind of sitting and staring and allowing your thoughts to kind of come and go. That was a really good one. You know, watching people on the beach, just being in the moment. Music's really good. I had a deliberate, very calming playlist that I listened to many times. And that's really cool because when you listen to that music afterwards, it reminds you of the good times you had on holiday. Reading fiction's a good one. You might love non-fiction and crime thrillers, but Reading fiction and allowing your brain to just go somewhere else completely, it does stimulate your imagination, which is is really good for running a business. And that combination of all those things helped me to totally recharge, but I did it on purpose. You know, I didn't just sit there and say, right, Portugal, regenerate me. You've got to do your bit. You've got to go to the beach. You've got to do the walking. You've got to eat the food. You've got to try the language. You know, make use of the facilities if you're in a hotel or speak to people if you're staying at somebody's house. But do it on purpose. Your rest and regeneration is not going to happen automatically. Yeah, you're, you might get 20% by going on holiday, especially to somewhere as gorgeous as the Algarve. But you want to get 80 90%. And the proof was, was, as we say in English, proof was in the pudding. I looked at the picture of myself the day after I came back and I was like, wow, it worked. There's so many amazing places in Portugal, specifically in the Algarve along the coast. If you're considering going somewhere, especially if you're in Europe, you need I just need some proper rest and recovery check it out 100% I recommend it um, lovely people very very kind and again it helped me to open the door again I love a guy called Ken Robinson I love his work him as a person check him out Ken Robinson he was an educator an incredible man uh, he has a great TED talk called the schools kill creativity check it out and he said if you put a key in a door that's locked you can turn it two ways you either turn a key in a door and it locks it and the door won't open or you turn a key the other way and it opens the door to possibilities. And Portugal was a country that reopened the door that was locked. I love the world. I love my family of 8 billion. And the door was locked for a bit. And it was through Portugal I opened the door again and, and reconnected, which was very special. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it's been nice to help you to understand a fantastic country. Make sure to check it out if you get the chance. Just think about one of those things, you know. Do you ever think about the immensity of life and how many billion years it's taken to make you and how amazing that is and how special you are? Have you thought about how languages can overlap and sometimes we can have cultural expectations and maybe if we drop those a bit, allow people just to be as they are, it helps us to embrace them, accept them and accept ourselves. And are you taking your rest and recovery seriously? Have you got your next holiday booked in? Do you know what you're going to do or not do to help you to balance out? Just try one of those things. Can't hurt. 
can only hope. And even if you don't, just know right now, just as you are, somebody loves you very, very much. Okay, obrigado, as I say in Portugal. Take care and speak soon. So I've got some super random positive facts for you about Portugal. Did you know that there are 250 million Portuguese speakers all around the world? Lavender is Portugal's national flower. And I love this, that Lisbon in Portugal predates Rome. So Lisbon has been around as a city since 1147. And archaeologists have actually found evidence that the area Lisbon sits on dates back to 1200 BC, which means Lisbon has been populated for over 3,000 years.